0: Amen. What a blessing and privilege it is to bring the Word to you today, to preach from God's Word. I'm excited and a little bit nervous about it. I have to admit, Tim texted me the other day and he said, um, passed my class with flying colors. I was half tempted to text him over my sermon notes and say, happy that you passed. You take it from here because you'll do a better job than me. Thanks to Josh for leading this morning. He did a great job. Yesterday... (laughs) Yesterday was the first time I'd ever heard him sing, and I was joking around with Tim this morning. I was like, what happened, Tim? Uh, they, they, they look somewhat alike, but Tim... I've heard Tim sing, and, and it's, not, it's not all you would think. Um, <laughs> anyway, I think this is a good week for us to take a step back. We've been in the Gospel of John... Since February of 2018, I took a look back at all of the sermons. February of 2018, we started out in the Gospel of John, and it's been almost a year, and we're about halfway through, and I think this is a good time for us to take a step back and see where we are, see where we've come from. It's hard to know where you're going if you don't know where you've come from Many of you know that I was in the Navy for 10 years and one thing that I taught while I was in the military was navigation. And I'm sure some of you have heard the phrase, um, don't get lost, don't lose sight of the forest. Let me make sure I get this right. Don't lose sight of the forest because of the trees. And that just means don't lose sight of the big picture um, by focusing on one thing or the other. One thing that's beautiful about the Bible is the Story of redemptive history that has actually taken place in space and time is beautiful. Sometimes we lose sight of that. But one thing that is amazing and beautiful about the Bible is you can't miss the trees either. All of the doctrines are beautiful, so we have to dive into those. But sometimes it's good for us to take a look at the big picture as well and see where we've come from. Navigation is a gift for me. Um, If navigation was a spiritual gift, it would be my spiritual gift. Um, I, for some reason, have the ability to be able to... Someone can give me an address or describe a house for me, and I can kind of visualize where it's at and just get there with no directions, hardly looking at a map or anything. It's not a demon um, or anything like that. It's just somehow God has gifted me with this. I don't know what it is. Um, So, I have a pretty good sense of navigation. One type of navigation that we do in the military is called terrain association. That's where they take away your your instructor or whoever, takes away your map, takes away your GPS, and you have to literally lean on your surroundings to be able to get from point A to point B. Use the streams, use the hills, um, use the big boulders, and be able to get from point A to point B is difficult. Maybe you get a, a quick look at the map. but That's one thing I want to do in this introduction, is now that we're coming to this halfway point of John, um, lean on the text. Lean on the text to see where we're at. John is broken up into four sections. Uh, the the um, writer of John, the Apostle John, laid it out magnificently for us. There's first the prologue, which we spent about four, three or four weeks on back in February of 2018, which teaches us who Christ is, that he is the word, the word that was with God and the word that was God, that he's the light of the world. It's a beautiful passage. It's only half of a chapter. And then we jump into what's known as the book of signs or the book of works, many scholars call it, which is... John 1, the end of John 1, all the way to John chapter 12, which is where we're at today. The end of John chapter 12, the end of Christ's public ministry. After this, starting next week, it's almost like we are the Israelites looking into the promised land. Something is about to change next week. Our surroundings are about to change because the last year, we have focused on three years of Christ's ministry And next week, we're going to focus in on 24 to 48 hours of the last part of Christ's life, what's known as the book of glory or the book of the passion. It's where we see Christ leave public ministry and speak with his disciples, teach them, talk about going to the cross and what they are supposed to do after he is gone. The book of the works that we've been going through has been us looking at Christ as a master teacher. He would go through and he would give examples. He would do signs, then he would teach from those signs. He would say that, I am the bread of life. He would feed the 5,000. He would heal a blind man and say, I am the light of the world, teaching in a, in a style that is just Magnificent. He would raise Lazarus from the dead. He would demonstrate his power over death. He would say, I am the resurrection and the life. It's been an amazing journey. And the crux, the hinge, what this whole book leans upon is belief. John chapter 20 says, but these words are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing You may have life in his name. Not just believe, believe that Christ is the Son of God. As we make this transition into this last section of Christ's public ministry, I want you to feel the weight of what it is that he's saying. He's about to wrap up and sum up his words from the entire first 12 chapters. Let's pray and then we'll get into our text. Oh Lord, what a blessing, what a privilege it is to be here. This morning, to speak of your goodness, to speak of your truth. These are hard and weighty words that we are about to discuss this morning, but so much truth in them. As I've studied for this sermon, I've been reminded about the more you dig, the deeper you are. We can only scratch the surface. But we thank you for giving us truth, truth that we know is eternal life. And I just pray that you would speak this morning through the power of the Holy Spirit. We love you and we thank you for everything you do for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you would turn in your Bibles to John chapter 12, our, ta- our text is going to be verses 44 through 50, six quick verses that sum up Jesus ministry thus far. This section is kind of like I'm I'm currently in in college. It's kind of like going to school for six months, getting all this information from the professor. And at the end of the semester, you're like, I have no idea how I'm going to pass this test. He's been feeding me with a fire hose for the last five months. What am I going to do? And then the week before the exam, you show up and the professor says, take out a pen and a pencil and a piece of paper. We're going to do an extensive review before the final exam. And you go, Phew, thank the Lord. Because the professor is going to give you the answers to the test. It happens all the time, right? The professor is going to give you, if they're, if they're a, a gracious professor, they're, going to, they're pretty much going to give you the answers to the test. And so as we look at this summary, they're somewhat analogous to the answers to the test. It's what he has shown us. Remember the context. Pastor Deshaun spoke last week. Heinous unbelief by the Jews. The Greeks have come and asked to speak, to see Christ, and Christ has said, it's my time. And we've seen heinous unbelief from the Jews. We don't know exactly why John Put This section here um, Because we saw last week that Jesus Has already left um, Perhaps Jesus spoke these words That week, we don't exactly Know when he spoke these words But we do know that John Put them there by the inspiration Of the Holy Spirit, that they were important Because this is the last Thing you see Christ Saying Jumping back to verse 42 before we get Into our text, I just want to read this for context Last week John chapter twelve forty two. Nevertheless, many, even the authorities, believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Heinous unbelief. Let's read our text this morning. John chapter twelve forty four through 50. And Jesus cried out, And said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world. I say as the Father has told me. These are powerful words. One thing that we do on our Wednesday night Bible studies, and as I was discussing this text with Tim, is we look for repeated words, and this is a difficult text because there are a lot of repeated words. Father, speak, word. Um, But there's one that just stands out. And it's Christ referring to himself. You see it over and over again. I, me, I have spoken. The Father has sent me. He's given me what to say and what to speak. The title of this sermon is The Centrality of Christ. And we're going to see in four sections that... Christ is central in believing in the Father. Christ is central in seeing the Father. Christ is central in rejecting the Father. And then we'll see that Christ is central to our communion with the Father. He's central in all things. Feel the weight of these words. Verse 44, and Jesus cried out. Let's stop right there. This is not the first time we've heard this language in the, in the book of John, in the gospel of John. It's not the first time. Essentially, Christ's ministry was a ministry of crying out. From the beginning, we see even John the Baptist um, in John chapter 1, verse 15. And these scriptures are not going to be on the screen. You can turn there if you'd like. Some of them I will have you turn to. Um, some are just for, for your reference. John 1.15, John the Baptist bore witness about him and cried out. This was he whom I said, he comes after me, but ranks before me. Jesus' ministry, even before it started, was, in a sense, crying out to the world to repent of your sins, to turn. We also see this language from Christ himself. If you turn to John chapter 7, I'll start reading in verse 28 and then jump down to 37. So Jesus proclaimed, 728, as he taught. He taught to those that were in earshot. You know me, and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true. In him you do not know. and him you do not know, speaking of the Father. Skipping down to 737. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come and drink. We see that Christ's ministry was a ministry of crying out. Crying out for those in unbelief. Remember I said at the hinge of this book, what it turns on is Belief. And we've seen heinous unbelief through the Jews, in the Jews. Have you ever been upset, angry, or sad at the same time? I know I have, and had a sense to cry out. I was thinking of, trying to think of an example, and I was thinking of my daughter going to the road and crying out, Stay out of the street! It's dangerous! What are you doing? Remember the context, unbelief in the Jews. We're going to see as we move down this theme of judgment. And Christ knows, because he is one with the Father, that those that do not believe in him will not see eternal life. These last words of Christ in his public ministry before it ends started as they began with John the Baptist, a crying out. What did Jesus cry out? whoever verse 40 back to verse 44 whoever believes in me believes not in me but in him who sent me i've had to struggle several times in my life of trying to understand some verses like this i've thought to myself for to- at times whether the cults are right or whether they're wrong the jehovah's witness the mormons is christ really god or is he an angel or is he a prophet Some people interpret these verses to say something different than what they actually say. Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. What does that mean? If you break it down and you take out the but in him who sent me, and you just think about the beginning of this phrase here in 44, whoever believes in me believes not in me. You can think about that for a little while and still... Think, what What is he saying there? Whoever believes in me believes not in me? The belief still requires belief in the Son. Whoever believes in me also believes in the Father. Those who believe in him actually believe in the one who sent him. You cannot break them apart. The Father and the Son are a package deal. Matthew 10, 40 Matthew 10.40 says, Whoever receives you, receives me. And whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. If you believe in the Father, if you know the Father, you must know the Son. Another example, Mark 9.37, you can write these down. You don't have to turn there. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me, receives not me, but him who sent me. We see the unity here of the Father and the Son. Turn to Luke chapter 10. Christ is central in believing the Father. Luke chapter 10, the context here is Jesus sends out the 72. Starting in verse 1, After this the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two into every town and every place where he himself was about to go. Christ is sending out disciples to herald the gospel, to prepare the way for him to come. If you skip down to verse 13, he says, Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in, your, done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me. The one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Tyre and Sidon, pagan cities often mentioned in the Old Testament, in the area of Phoenicia. When archaeologists have studied this area, there's been evidence of child sacrifice, immorality, sexual immorality. Turn to Ezekiel chapter 26. If you turn to the big book of Jeremiah and then turn a little bit to the right, you'll find it. A little context here on Sidon, Tyre and Sidon. Therefore, Ezekiel chapter 26, 3 through 6. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold I am against you O Tyre and I will bring up many nations against you as the sea brings up its waves they shall destroy the walls of Tyre and break down her towers and I will scrape her soil and from her and make her a bare rock she shall be in the midst of the sea a place for spreading of nets for I have spoken declares the Lord God and she shall become plunder for the nations And her daughters on the mainland shall be killed by the sword. Then they will know that I am the Lord. What a horrific picture there of the soil being scraped, that there can be no fruitful growth. That's the picture of Tyre and Sidon. If you flip back quickly to Luke chapter 10, there's an important application here that I want you to see. Believing in Christ is believing in the Father. Woe to those cities Worse judgment and punishment will come on the cities that reject Christ, starting in Luke chapter 10, verses 16, the one who hears you hears me. Who's Christ speaking to there? He's speaking to his followers. He's speaking to his disciples that are bearing the word, that are bringing and heralding the word. Those who reject the word reject the son. Those who reject the son reject the father. The one who hears you, again in verse 16, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Those who are heralding the gospel, that are preaching the gospel, that are teaching the word, they represent Christ. And Christ represents the Father. That should, in some ways, scare us because as we deliver the word of God we are delivering the son to unbelievers but it's all tied to the father. Let's move on to verses 45 and 46. Christ is central in seeing the father and whoever sees me sees him who sent me. It's interesting that Christ moves from something that is more of an inward reality, belief, to something that's physical, something that we can actually see, something that's tangible. I think uh, there's two things going on here, both something physical and spiritual. Yes, the works and the words are from God. But when we see Christ, we are actually seeing God. We see the Father. If you think back to John chapter 3, Nicodemus came to Christ and said, Rabbi, what did he say? He said, we know that you're a good teacher because of what you do. We know. But Nicodemus did not get the entire reality because he was standing in the presence of God himself, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. There's an aspect of physical sight here. If you think of Colossians 1 15 a beautiful verse that we're currently memorizing at home with with Violet. She's 4 years old and she almost has the whole thing down. But Colossians 1:15 says he speaking of Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. When we see Christ, we see God. We see the Father. Hebrews 1:3, one of the most beautiful verses in all of the Bible, I believe says he is the radiance, speaking of Christ again, of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. There's a physical aspect to this, but there's also a spiritual aspect. Pastor Deshaun talked about last week that of Christ being the light of the world and that light does three things, that it hardens, that it it illumines, and that it hardens. What was the third thing I got to remember here? What was it, Pastor Deshawn? And, and exposes. That's right. That's right. There's a spiritual element to this. John fourteen nine. We're gonna see this in a couple of weeks. But John fourteen nine speaking of Philip in the upper room, if you turn over a couple of pages. Have I been with you so long? And you still do not know me, Philip. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Show us the Father. You've seen him. Christ is a master teacher, and he moves from the physical to the spiritual in the blink of an eye. We have our salvation. We are able to see the Father because Jesus Christ is the light of the world. He is central in seeing the Father. Moving on to verse 36, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. The light reveals the Father. And those who remain in darkness, there's no transformation in their life. The light applied to the believer through the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit brings salvation. Christ shows us the Father. He is the light. Remember in John 1, he is the light come into the world. John 12, verses 47. Verse 47. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world but to save the world, Christ is repeating himself here. He's repeating himself from John chapter three, John chapter eight. Remember, John three sixteen says, "For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life." But John three seventeen says, "For God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world." But in order that the world might be saved through him. Judgment language. What's going on here? Is Christ judging or is he not judging? John chapter 8, verse 15 says, You judge according to the flesh. This is Christ saying this: I judge no one. But if you would, please turn to John 5:22. John 5, 22 says, For the Father judges no one but has given all judgment to the Son. We know from what we have studied so far in John that authority has been given to the Son. Authority has been given to judge from God, from the Father. Let's Skip down a few verses. 5.30, John 5.30, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Is this a contradiction in Scripture? Many people that study this around the world, the scholars, different atheists, agnostics, whoever it may be, look at this and say, there's contradictions in Scripture. Is there a contradiction here? When we look at it, it, it seems to be. But that's not really what's going on. As you study Scripture more and more, you realize that there's no contradictions in Scripture. Both are true. This is a paradox. If you can remember back to grade school vocabulary what the definition of a paradox is, a paradox is something that appears, it just appears to be a contradiction. But upon further investigation, we realize that both are true. We're going to find that out as we move along. Even John the Baptist was confused about this when the old testament prophets looked towards the messiah that was going to come they saw one picture they saw the messiah coming they saw setting up of the kingdom they saw the judgment but we see that god had a plan that was outside of what everyone could understand john the baptist was essentially the last of the old testament prophets and He came heralding the gospel, but he also came heralding judgment. Turn to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, verse 12. John the Baptist, heralding in the good news, teaching repentance, says, His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire this is the messiah that he's speaking about this is christ that he's speaking about if you turn over quickly to matthew chapter 11 skip over a few pages this is judgment language that he was talking about in matthew 3:12 john the baptist was arrested by herod and beheaded but before he died, he sent a disciple to one of his disciples to Christ to ask him a question. He said, Matthew eleven three through 5. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. This is important. When we think of Jesus coming to earth as man, Jesus came to save the world. He did not come to bring wrath. God sent Jesus to the earth because of his love. If we think of God as a all judging God all the time, we have a faulty view of who God is. Yes, God is just. Yes, God will judge. But he sent Christ into the world the first time to save the world, to show his love for his sheep. God's intent on sending Christ is salvific. It is for salvation. We can't lose sight of that. God is patient. He's patient with me. He's patient with you. He's patient as we wallow in our sins. Praise the Lord that he did not come to do all of the judging and the saving at the same time. In his providence, he sent Christ to show us his love. Also send Christ a second time to judge. Verse 48, the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. It's interesting as we see the word here used, that the word will judge. And we think back to John chapter 1 and we think of Christ as the word. The word will judge. There's there's a double-edged sword going on here. Jesus is saying his words... Literally, the words that he is speaking, which these people, which these Jews have heard with their own ears, will be their judge on the last day. This is true in all of life. Men cannot be blamed for not knowing, but if he knows what is right and does the wrong, his condemnation is all the more serious. We see this every day. We understand this. We are judged by words. If we're to go to court tomorrow, what are we going to be judged by? Legislation. The speed limit. Right? The speed limit's posted for everyone to see. We are judged by laws. And this gospel is the same gospel that saves is the same gospel that will judge in the end. It's the same word. It's amazing how that works, isn't it? When you think of the Old Testament, you think of judgment by the law, by the Ten Commandments. Well, Jonathan, what about the Ten Commandments? Are we not judged by obeying our father and mother? Are we not judged by um, whether we kill or steal? If you're an unbeliever, you will be judged by the law. And the law is still there for us to follow. It is embedded in the character of God, but there is a remedy to the law, and the remedy to the law is the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. When people think of the difference between judging in the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's a misconception. A lot of people look at Christ and think of uh, a hippie. We see it all, all the time on TV. That, you know, uh, a hippie wearing sandals teaching us about good morals. That's a false worldview. Judgment is intensified in the New Testament. It's intensified because those who reject the Son, they're rejecting God. They're rejecting the Father. But praise the Lord that grace is intensified under the covenant of Jesus Christ. There comes a time when Christ will judge. He will judge by the word, and he will do that on the last day. This lets us know that there is a day coming, an actual point in time where judgment will occur. What he's saying is, right now, that's not why I'm here. I came to save and I want you to listen to what I'm saying. I'm crying out to you. I want you to hear this before the light goes out. This isn't a perfect, perfect one-for-one example. But I think about punishment, and I think about punishing my children. And I, I believe in punishment. I believe in spanking. Um, I'm a believer in that. Some people might want to call the cops on me, but... Um, <laughs> I ask that you don't because I don't want to have to deal with that. <laughs> but there comes a time where they don't listen to my word. They don't listen to what it is that I say. And there comes a time where mentally I know that if I let them continue on, I'm doing them a disservice. And there's, there's a time in my head where it's like, okay, I made the decision. It's going to happen. And I go in and I speak to my daughter and I tell her, And there's that moment where the light comes on and she realizes there's no turning back. And the face, it just breaks my heart. The face changes. The tears start to flow. And she realizes at this point, you know, she'll start to negotiate with me. (laughs) She'll start to negotiate, say, you know, I was already in trouble before. I was just in trouble the other day. Or whatever it is that she comes up with. But there's a time where there's no turning back. I pray that as we see Christ here, believing in Christ, believe in him if you have not. You do not want to see that judgment. You do not want to be judged by the gospel. Christ came the first time to save, but he will come to judge. And he will judge us by the word. Lastly, verses 49 through 50. We see that Christ is central in communion with the Father. Verse 49, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. The Father has commanded the Son. What the Son says is from the Father. I'm going to do a quick little biblical theology of John and run through some verses where this theme is repeated. You don't have to turn there but well, you might want to write it down. John seven sixteen. so Jesus answered them. My teaching is not mine, but is him, his who sent me. John 10, 37 through 38. If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works. For you May, know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. John 14:10 through11. "Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does His works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. This is an important one right here, John 14:23 through 24. You can write that down and refer to it later. John 14:23 and 24. Jesus answered him, "If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and the Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words." And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Not only are we judged by the word, but those who keep the word, who keep keep Christ's commandments, will be in communion with the Father. Bring salvation to us. His sheep. Verse 50, and I know his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. This commandment of Christ coming to earth, living the perfect life, the atonement, it's all wrapped up in this beautiful story that brings eternal life. Christ's words conform to the Father's commandment. To obey the Father is to believe in the Son's message. To believe the Son is to know the Father. You cannot break them apart. This is a commandment. This isn't a, you know, do if you want to. The Father commands the Son, the Son acts in perfect obedience. Similarly, similarly, there's a command for us as well. He's also given us a commandment. Turn to 1 John three twenty-three. The same writer just towards the end of the Bible. Turn to Revelation, then turn back left a little ways, and you'll find first. The Father has given the Son a commandment, what we as the believers have been given a commandment, and this is His commandment. John one twenty three. And th- this is his commandment that we believe in the name of the Son Jesus Christ and love one another just as He has commanded us. To know the Son is to know the Father. John seventeen. Turn there and we'll get to application. I'm sorry, John eight. John eight fifty one. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. If we love the Son, we keep his commandments. The Son kept the commandment of the Father perfectly. Now, we are called to keep his commandments. We cannot do it perfectly in this life. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, we strive to continue to keep the commandments of the Son. He's our model. He followed the word of the Father perfectly. And if we love the Son, we will keep his commandments. Lastly, the Father's command of the Son, let this sink in. His command led to the cross. And that's where we're about to turn next week. We're about to turn towards the cross in the second half of the book of John. How do we apply all this? We talked about how Christ is central in believing in the Father. Christ is central in seeing the Father. He's central in rejecting the Father for unbelievers. But he's also central in our communion with the Father. Realize that there's a sense of urgency with this message. There was a sense of urgency for the Jews, but there's also a sense of urgency for us that as heralders, heralders of the gospel, that we preach and teach the truth. It will either bring eternal life or it will bring condemnation. What people do with that gospel, we have no power over. But we should be crying out and frustrated. Why? Why are you not believing? This is the truth. And it should break our hearts for those that are not in belief. I don't want you to confuse Christ in this passage. I don't want you to confuse submission with subordination. Christ is in submission to the Father, but he's also fully God. He's in submission to do what the Father says, but he is not a subordinate. We see the seriousness In these verses, we see the seriousness of taking his word, of hearing his word, and it either bringing grace into our lives or heaping up judgment. Lastly, we have a Christian hope that is different from a worldly hope. Our hope in Christ, that we believe that he is the Son of God, is sure. And we have a surety in that. Just as we are sure that he will bring judgment to those that do not believe, we have a surety that he will follow through and save us from our sins if we believe. He would not send his son to the cross to die if he would not save us for believing in his son, Jesus Christ. Do you believe that Jesus is the son of God? Do you believe that he is God Come in the flesh to save sinners. I know many of you do. But I would just pray that you praise God for your salvation through Christ. And if you know that you have friends, relatives that don't believe, understand the weight of these words. This is a summary of Christ's ministry, He is central to all things. He's our mediator between us and God. Hear them, take them in, as next week we will turn to a new chapter. Let's pray. Our Lord, we love you. We have come here this morning to worship you because you are worthy. These are strong words, strong words of judgment, but strong words of salvation. Oh Lord, thank you for Christ. Thank you for his word. Thank you for giving us his word, that we may read it and know the truth. I pray, I pray that you would give us a sense of how weighty this is, that we may take it in, that we may follow your word, follow your son's commands. Let us know that you are in communion with him, that he is our mediator, and that the message of the gospel is tied to a foundational bedrock of Christ as the word of God. Thank you for this church. Please be with us. Guide us. Help us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.